beautiful. Thank you, guys. Let me add my welcome to Zach's. My name's Kevin. I'm the pastor here, and it's good to have you here with us this morning. We've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, which is the the first book in uh, the New Testament. And so if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to be in verses 25 through 34 this morning. As you turn there, I want to uh, congratulate Ullman Good. Uh, he alone, of all of the Grace Kids, memorized Psalm 1 this summer, and he has received his Chick-fil-A gift card. So, well done, Ullman. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. If you don't have your own copy of uh, the Bible, you can grab the the black one that's on the rack there in front of you. Uh, Today's passage is going to be on page 811, if you want to turn there. And I want to draw your attention to the very first word of verse 25, therefore. The old saying goes... Whenever, whenever you're reading the Bible, studying the Bible, you need to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? All right? Um, and so let's look back for just a second because Jesus is saying something that is connected to what we looked at last week. So if you look back at verses 19 through 24, Jesus, what Jesus does there is he redefines our relationship to our wealth. Right, He says that instead of storing up treasures on earth that will be lost or destroyed uh, or taken, uh, that we should store up treasures in heaven where they cannot be lost or destroyed or taken. He says that instead of loving and serving our money, we need to use our money to love and serve God. Why? Because we cannot serve both. That's what Jesus says uh, in verse 24, that we cannot love and serve two masters. We cannot both love and serve God and money, right? We can only wrap our hands around. We can only cling to one master at a time. And so Jesus, after redefining our relationship to our wealth, then goes on to talk about our worry. Literally, there in verse 25, because of this, therefore... I tell you, this is how you should live. So what we're about to read is a plan of action drawn from Jesus' principle of serving God instead of our wealth. And so let's read God's word together again. You can keep your seats and keep the Bible open in front of you. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, Nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, and the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Our good and gracious King, would you draw us to yourself through your word? Would you show us all of the different things that we're anxious about? And would you show us what you have to say in response? Free us from our worry. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be familiar with the story of Jim Elliott uh, and his team. Uh, they were a group of missionaries seeking to reach the Huarani tribe of Ecuador uh, that lived deep in the Amazon jungle. They moved to Ecuador in 1952 uh, to begin learning and planning on how to reach this remote people. Uh, they would use a small airplane uh, to make contact and to pass gifts down to the tribes. Uh, and they eventually decided to move closer in and set up a, a hut, a small base uh, in the jungle close to where the tribe lived. Uh, but on January 8th, 1956, Jim and the four other members of his team, Ed, Roger, Pete, and Nate, were all speared to death as they went out to meet a group of approaching tribesmen. Jim was 29. He left behind a wife and a 10-month-old daughter. In fact, uh, all five men left behind wives. Four of them were fathers. And we might say, how tragic, how tragic. Uh, what a waste of life. What a waste of promise. What a waste of time and money. But several years before his death, Jim wrote these words in his journal. And he actually isn't the first one to come up with them. They were uh, adapted from a pastor in the 1600s named Philip Henry, who was the father of Matthew Henry, whom some of you know, wrote a whole commentary on the Bible. But here's what Jim wrote in his journal. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what Jesus is saying in verses 19 through 34, this whole section. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And so having shown us a right perspective on wealth, Jesus now uh, seeks to free us from worry, anxiety. I'll use those words interchangeably, uh, but it's common to 
All of us. We all deal with it at some level. Some of us are almost paralyzed by it. We have fears and phobias and and panic attacks. And while you may not struggle with it at that level, it's something that's common to all of us. Richard Swenson in his book Margin says this, No one in the history of humankind has ever had to live with the number and intensity of stressors we have acting upon us today. They are unprecedented. The human spirit is called upon to withstand rapid changes and pressures never before encountered. Maybe you've felt that. Uh, In fact, uh, researchers are saying that anxiety uh, and some of its close cousins, things like depression, hopelessness, are at an all-time high, especially among the young. What's behind that? We don't. No, yet we're in the midst of it, and it's always hard to gain information while you're in the midst of something. And yet, it is, uh, at least many researchers have drawn a, a conspicuous correlation between the introduction of the smartphone and the rise of its youth with increasing levels of anxiety. But, clearly, worry is not a new problem. Here's Jesus in the first century telling people not to worry. So this is not something that's new. It's not something that's American. It is something that is human, and we have dealt with it for as long uh, since, since we were kicked out of the garden for our rebellion. So you may ask then, is Jesus even being realistic? I mean, how can I, how can I not worry? Does Jesus not know about what I've seen, what's been done to me, what I have to deal with? Maybe you are, would be quick to dismiss uh, what Jesus says is unrealistic. Maybe, uh, maybe you're not much of a worrier. Maybe you kind of swing uh, to the other side of the spectrum and you're, and you're kind of indifferent. When worry pops up, uh, you say, nope, not going to worry. Right? You, you check out, you disengage. Or maybe you look at what Jesus says here and you, and you say, you know what? Jesus said it. I believe it. That's enough. Not going to worry. And then as, as worry, maybe a worry kind of creeps up, you grit your teeth real hard. You say, nope, I'm not going to worry. Right? Wherever you may fall on that spectrum, hopefully I, I want to see, uh, I want you to, to look at how Jesus handles uh, our anxiety, how he helps us handle it, how he helps us with our worries. And really what Jesus tells us is that seeking God's kingdom will help free us from worry. That's, I tried to look for a more clever way to say that, but that's as, that's as clear as it gets. Seeking God's kingdom will help to free us from worry. Jesus is saying the reason that we worry is because our hearts are set on the wrong thing. We are, we are seeking and pursuing things that will disappoint us, things that will let us down, and therefore we worry. Now, I realize that this is a sensitive topic uh, for many that I'm not going to be able to get into um, all of the all of the things that come with acute worry and generalized anxiety. Uh, But what we're doing this morning is just we're going to look at that at the very basic level. But then hopefully within that, 
And particularly if you're a person who struggles and even maybe clinically with anxiety, you hear something of help and freedom this morning. So uh, first, let's define our worry. Let's, let, let's see how Jesus defines our worry. And then let's see how Jesus tells us to defeat uh, our worry. Um, defining our worry, the Senior high Sunday school class, our 9th through 12th graders, are actually uh, going through this book by pastor and counselor Tim Lane uh, called Living Without Worry. Uh, And in that book, it's a good book, I started reading it this week, Uh, the first chapter deals with this passage. Um, Tim says this, that what worry is, is over-concern. It's concern in overdrive. Okay? So... Think about it this way. It's natural and right to be concerned about things, particularly in a fallen, difficult, dangerous world, right? If I am concerned about the pain in my arm, the acute pain in my arm, I may go to the doctor. That would be a wise course of action. If I am concerned that Rebecca and I won't be able to live after I stop working, then I would wisely invest in retirement savings, right? So, It's okay to be concerned and to take action. That's what concern does. If we are concerned, we pray and we take wise action. So what I'm trying to say is that the Bible never calls us to indifference. The Bible doesn't call us to laziness. The Bible doesn't call us to just give up. That's not not what Jesus is pinpointing here. Concern is okay. Read the book of Proverbs. But when concern goes into overdrive, that's worry. Jesus uses this same word in Luke 10.41 to describe his friend Martha, who is distracted with much serving. Right? She's, she's, so, she's a busybody, right? She's moving around. She's making sure all the bases are covered. She's got to get all, everything done, and she's missing Jesus. She, she won't sit at Jesus' feet to listen to him because she's got she's to get it done. She's distracted with much serving. She's worried. She's anxious. It's this obsessive over-concern that overrides our rational thought. And sometimes can push us into that fight-or-flight response. Right, where adrenaline begins surging, your heart rate goes up, and you're, you're ready to take action, either run away or fight. Except in this case, it's, you know, that, that would be good if there was a bear chasing you. But not good in most other cases in life. And for some of us, our systems have been so traumatized and uh, the wiring messed up, that we automatically flip into that mode when we get anxious. So that obsessive over-concern, that's what Jesus is dealing with. And particularly here, he says what we typically, or what, what this group is obsessing over is survival and security, food and clothing. And so we're not even really talking about luxuries at this point. We're talking about necessities. We need to eat, we need to drink, we need to be clothed. And think about this in the first century, right? Uh, 
These would have even been more pressing necessities to them because they had to do all of that themselves. Right, for many of us, we go like eating and drinking and clothing are a little bit easier to come by. We just go to the store, right? Um, so they're a lot closer to this particular acute need. And remember, Jesus isn't calling out wise concern over survival and security. He's not saying, "Hey, listen." Don't worry, about, don't worry about your clothing. If you'll just sit on the couch, God will clothe you. Don't, don't worry about eating and drinking. If you, you don't have to go to the store. Uh, you don't have to worry about working so that you can pay for your food. If you'll just hang tight, he'll, he'll drop food on you from heaven. That's not, that's not what Jesus is saying. What he's addressing is our obsession, our over-concern with these things. Right? Did you really need to pay that much for that pair of jeans? Right? Jesus, uh, Jesus is addressing our obsession. And so let's begin just by diagnosing the, the core of our worries. What is it that you're worried about? And I want you to make a list. Right? What is it that keeps you up? What is it that when you start thinking about it, it just gnaws at you? And you become difficult to deal with. Moody, grumpy. What is it that keeps you from sleeping? What is it that makes your heart race and you're worried that nothing's going to be okay? And I want you to, the reason I want you to make a list is because I want to, when we get to the defeaters in the second point, I, I want you to begin applying those defeaters to. Those worries, okay? Here's what uh, Tim Lane says. He says, when we identify what it is we're worried about, that actually gives us an opportunity. It's an opportunity. Worry is actually an opportunity because underneath our over-concerns are over-loves. Underneath our worries and anxieties is something that we are loving more than God. Something that we are trusting in more than God. Something that we are resting in to bring us our happiness and satisfaction and peace and joy. And it cannot do it. It is incapable because it is a created thing. And yet we're putting all of our eggs in that basket. And that basket has a hole in it and all the eggs are breaking. And so we're worried. In fact, Jesus says, are you a little faith? It's a question of belief or trust. So identify what those things are. What is it that you, you're worried about? And what is it that you love that's underneath that anxiety? What are, you, what are you trying to rest in that isn't Jesus? And having begun to define those things, let, let's see how Jesus defeats them. There are really three approaches that Jesus takes to defeating our worry. The first is he tells us that, that worry is a waste. Right? Look at verse 27. He says, Which of you, by being anxious, by worrying, can add a single hour to your lifespan? Right? Is your worrying going to add one more hour to your life? No. In fact, it's probably going to take some away. Right? Or at least make the span that you have very unpleasant. Or make you unpleasant to the people who have to live with you. Right? Somebody said yes. All right. Look at verse 34. 
He says, there's enough to worry about today, right? Today has enough trouble for itself. Don't worry about tomorrow. Now, what's interesting about that is Jesus isn't saying that uh, he, he's not promising a carefree life, right? This is not Hakuna Matata. This is not Bobby McFerrin. Don't worry. Be happy. Kids, in case you're wondering, you know, if worry is a new thing, uh, Hakuna Matata was the 90s. Don't worry. Be happy was the 80s. So, again, we keep doing this. We keep repackaging the same thing. Right? Jesus is not promising a carefree life. In fact, he admits, he's like, no, you have tr- you're going to have trouble today. There are things that are going to bother you today, barriers that you're going to come up against. You will have trouble. Don't double your trouble by bringing tomorrows into it. Just, let, just handle today. Let tomorrow handle itself. You'll, you'll get there in plenty of time. All right? So don't bring tomorrow's troubles into today. And so this may be the best news that someone hears today. You are not in control. You are not in control. That is not meant to be an insult. That should free you up. That should free you up. That should bring you freedom. Technology has brought us many wonderful things. I am I am not anti-technology. But one of the things that it can give us is this illusion of control that we don't really have. And so we have, we have this illusion of control. We have this illusion of agency, the ability to, to change or to do something. And then when it falls through and we can't, we're anxious. You're not in control. So worry is a waste. And there's a second one. The second thing that Jesus points to to defeat our worry, and it's our Father's care. Are you anxious about food, Jesus says. Look at verse 26. He says, look at the birds. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Right now we know that birds, again, God doesn't just drop food into bird nests. Okay, They go out and they gather food. Jesus' point is that God creates an environment where food for birds is produced, maybe from your bird feeder, but maybe from somewhere else. Either way, right, he provides for the birds. Are you anxious about how you look? Are you anxious about clothing? Jesus says, look at the flowers and the grass. No, nothing can, Solomon in all his glory could not compare to the beauty of these things, and yet... They're here today and gone tomorrow. I'm going to run over it with a mower. Right? Are you not of more value than they? I want you to to hear that repeated theme. If your father cares for these things, will he not also care for you? Hear what Jesus is saying. God is not the father of lilies or grass or birds. He is the creator and sustainer of those things, but he is not their father. If you are in Christ, he is your father. And if he is your father, you are more valuable than all of those things. Our fathers care. We are much more valuable than any of the things, anything else that God creates and sustains.
And he knows what we need, verse 32. And so underneath our anxiety ultimately is unbelief. Because unbelief actually sits underneath all of our sin. It sits underneath the first sin. And what was it that prompted Adam and Eve to eat the fruit? It was unbelief. They did not trust the words of their God. They trusted the words of the serpent instead. They took it on themselves and they ruined the world. And you and I repeat that same unbelieving decision multiple times a day, every day. Underneath our anxiety sits unbelief. I don't, I don't say that to be mean. I'm saying it so that we can latch on to what it is that ails us and move in the right direction. And I say it because it's my struggle. Because I worry. And that at the root of my worry is some unbelief that God is not my loving father. And he won't take care of me. I struggle to believe that. And so we need to name that. We need to own that. How do I know that God cares for me? How can you know that God cares for you? One, Jesus says that he does. But two, it's because God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friend. How do I know that God cares for me? Because he died for me. He loves me that much. And if he would not spare his own life to save my soul, I can be fairly certain he will put food on the table and clothes on my back. One more defeater, and this is the best one of all. We have worries of waste. We have our Father's care. And this is, this is the last one comes in verses 31 through 33. Jesus says, this is really kind of the summary point. Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. What are, who are the Gentiles? They were the people who did not know God. They were the ones separated from God. They did not acknowledge him as their father. Okay? The Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So what Jesus is saying, right, is it's, it's a question of what you're seeking. And friend, really, we could almost simplify the whole Bible into, into this choice. What will you seek? What will you pursue? What will you endeavor after? That's the question. Gentiles... The people who don't know God, they pursue food, drink, and clothing. That's what they do. Right? There's nothing beyond the frame. They just got to get what they got to get while they can get it. But Jesus says, if you know God as your father, if you have been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus, if you have his spirit living in you, then your ambition should be higher. Your pursuit should be so much better and so much more valuable. Jesus says, don't worry about those things. Instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's the alternative. You say, okay, how, how do I not worry? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. Stop seeking things that are going to go away. Stop seeking things that, that, that will wear out as soon as you put them on. 
you got to be clothed. God will take care of that. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You'll get that. But the key to not worrying about these is to seek him, to seek his kingdom, to seek his priorities. How do we seek the kingdom? Well, Zach read for us earlier from John 3. People come into the kingdom when they're born again and place their faith in Jesus. So we seek his kingdom by helping people know and follow Jesus. By telling people about the Lord Jesus. By believing on the Lord Jesus ourselves. What about his righteousness? How do we seek his righteousness? When we, by the power of the Spirit, imitate Jesus' righteous character. That's what it looks like to seek his kingdom and his righteousness, to pursue his aims, to pursue his ends, to know him and to make him known. And Jesus promises that everything we need will be added to us as we do that. That's how we begin to put worry to death in our lives. I began with a a journal entry from Jim Elliott. I want to close with the last one that he wrote while he waited for the Horani to come to him. I walked out on the hill just now. It's exalting, delicious, to stand embraced by the shadows of a friendly tree with the wind tugging at your coattail and the heavens hailing your heart to gaze and glory and give oneself again to God. What more could a man ask? Oh, the fullness Pleasure, sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. I care not if I never raise my voice again for him, if only I may love him and please him. Perhaps in mercy he shall give me a host of converts that I may lead through the vast star fields to explore his delicacies whose finger ends set them to burning. But if not, if only I may see him, Touch his garments, smile into his eyes. Oh, then not stars nor children shall matter only himself. Oh, Jesus, master and center and end of all, how long before that glory is yours, which has so long awaited you? Now there is no thought of you among men. Then there shall be thought for nothing else. Now other men are praised. Then none shall care for any other's merits. Hasten, hasten, glory of heaven. Take your crown, subdue your kingdom, enthrall your creatures. You don't have to be Jim Elliot. You don't have to lose your life in an Ecuadorian jungle. But I want you to hear in his words, the last words that he wrote in his journal, what it sounds like to seek his kingdom and his righteousness and to not be worried. Let's pray. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. 
Thou my great father, and I thy true son. Thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. O Lord, that your kingdom and your glory, your greatness, would subdue all other loves in our hearts. One, so that we would store up treasure for you in heaven, pursuing those things which cannot, cannot go away. But also so that we would not be so worried, so anxious about the things here. Would you give us a greater vision of you? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand uh, and sing. Be